Um, so yes, this is our, la our last Sunday of term. Uh, we tend to think in terms, we tend to work in terms, and we're looking forward to having a little summer off. But I've been really praying over the last couple of weeks, how do we close off this term? What do we need to have ringing in our ears as we go into August and then push forward in September? Um, and so we are going to be talking today. And you know what? I've, I'll be really honest. As I was preparing this, I finished it, and I thought, I kind of, it was already on Friday, and I got into Saturday and went, yeah, it's not right. It's not right. And I got into there and went, oh, it's not right. And then we were queuing up Brett's video uh, that we sang just earlier on. And the first words were, we are overcomers. And do you want to pop up that first slide? Look, that's what our first slide is. So that, that's me trying to be a bit clever. So that's me, that's, that phrase is, we are more than overcomers, question mark. Are we more than overcomers? Like, so I was so encouraged by that because I, there I was like, oh, I've prepared something that's wrong. And then Brett brought that video, and that was the first line. So that's what we're talking about today. We are talking about being more than overcomers. What the heck does that mean? Let's get there. Let's get there together. So first thing we're going to do is I want you to try and just gather around with some friendly faces around you. If you'd like to, you don't have to take part if you don't want to. But if you want to have a chat with some people around you, I just want to ask you a really, really quick, simple question. If Jesus was to walk in at the back, you know, flowing blonde hair and... You know, lovely, lovely white robe with a blue sash. If Jesus was to walk in and asks you, ask you the question, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? Now, Jesus was constantly sought out by people who needed things to happen in the physical world. So if Jesus walked in and asked you, what would you like me to do? How would you answer that question? So gather up with a couple of people who look friendly around you. Have a little natter. We'll get, you've got one minute, and then we're going to have a little bit of a feedback. So go for it. Okay, let's hear from some of you guys. So, so Jesus walks into the room and asks... What can I do for you? What do you need? What are your answers? Anybody got anything? You guys are cheekily giggling. What did you say? Oh, we were just saying, I've got a glass of water here. Would you mind? <laughs> little, uh, little Merlot, maybe? Very good. I like that. Anybody else? Anybody else? What, what would you ask Jesus if he wandered in? This group over there, walking out of rage. Yep. Winning, winning lottery numbers. I mean... Any hands in the air for that? Well, just you and me then, Craig, <laughs> the looks of it. We'll share. Got you covered. Anybody else? Jesus walks in the room. What do we ask? Yes. I'd like some feedback on how I'm doing. <laughs> some feedback on how you're doing. Oh, Becca, bless you. Um, yeah, I don't know if I do, to be honest. That's terrifying. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, there's a couple of things like maybe some winning lottery numbers, maybe some like, how am I doing? Give me some feedback. Um, so I'm sure each of us could think of a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it serious, some of it sensible, some of it which would be for ourselves, some of it which would be for others. Um, now, I believe that when we pray to God, he hears us and responds to our prayers. Maybe not sometimes always in the way we'd like, but he does always respond. And I've seen some amazing answers to prayer in my life. And we celebrated some just now in what's God been doing, haven't we? So it's wonderful to hear. But the idea of having Jesus himself, like physical, actual, visible Jesus in the skin to pray for you for something... That's pretty special, right? That would be pretty special, right? Don't you think? Well, did you know that he's already done it? Did you know that he's already prayed for you? Did you know this? 
There's a prayer in John's biography of Jesus' life. It's in chapter 17, if you want to read it. Um, And in essence, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays to his father that he would look after them after he's gone to heaven. He talks a whole load about those disciples being in him and then being in in the father and that kind of stuff, which is Jesus' way of talking about um, kind of whatever applies to Jesus will now apply to his followers. He prays for protection for them. And then he prays for all of the disciples that will come in the future that's us. So do you want to know what Jesus prayed for us? Jesus in the skin actually prayed for us. He says this, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, they may be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't that great? That's what Jesus, in the skin, actually prayed for us, being united together to make a statement to this lost and broken world about who God is. But it actually gets better, because before Jesus prays that prayer, he adds this, this tiny little tag um, before. He says this. He says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ, with the world's most double-handed statement, in this life you will have troubles. Now, show of hands from any followers of Jesus in this world, have you experienced any troubles? Hands up if you have. Yes. Okay, so that part so far has proved true. Very good. Um, But then Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And it's this idea, this idea that we should take heart because Jesus has overcome the world that I really want to leave us with as this term comes to a close. You know, as we take a pause over summer and as we look back, we kind of look to coming back in September full of beans and ready for the next chapter and raring to go, I want us to have these words of Jesus ringing in our ears. Here on earth you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So what on earth do you think Jesus means? He has overcome the world. Any ideas? What does Jesus mean when he says, take heart because I have overcome the world? Turn back to those guys you were chatting with just now and have like 30 seconds to a minute. What does Jesus mean when he says, I have overcome the world? And again, I want to hear from you. So like identify an extrovert amongst you and poke them when I come around with a microphone. So what does Jesus mean? You've got 30 seconds to a minute. Go for it. Okay, you've had about 30 seconds. So why doesn't somebody shout at me? What does it mean when Jesus says, I have overcome the world? Any ideas? Yes. Um, So we said that if there's a spiritual battle going on in the world and the worst thing in the world is death and Jesus has already beaten death, he's overcome that. And the other thing we said was, um, he overcoming the world means he has the absolute power to change absolutely anything that happens in the world and he knows everything even if he doesn't change it he could what a comprehensive answer anyone want to try and top that anybody yes Darren wants to top it you're gonna have to come to me because we're I'm running out of range on the mic will have troubles but um in the future they will uh, they will be overcome because jesus is because of jesus work and what he's done uh, it's also a very excellent answer yeah i like that even if we have troubles now we can look forward to a time when ultimately those troubles will be resolved that's great uh, anybody else yeah there's a hand sarah you're gonna have to come to me i'm really sorry or just shout at me from there that would do 
What we're saying here is that Jesus came into the world to show his great love for us. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Some excellent definitions of what it means for Jesus to overcome the world. But I was playing with this idea. What does it mean for us to be overcomers? And did anybody catch the story of Mo Farah this week? Anybody catch that? Hands up if you saw that. How unbelievably short was that in the news? Like, it came and it went, and we had to sit through all that garbage about the Tory leadership thing. And there's this amazing story about Mo Farah. So, in case you missed it, here's a really quick video to kind of catch you up. Most people know me as Mo Farah, but it's not my name or it's not the reality. The real story is I was born in Somaliland, north of Somalia, as Hussein Abdi Kahin. Despite what I've said in the past, my parents never lived in the UK. When I was four, my dad was killed in a civil war. You know, as a family, we were torn apart. I was separated from my mother and I was brought into the UK illegally under the name of another child called Mohammed Farah. This is the visa document. Yeah, this is the, the visa to come to the UK and, and this was the document we came with. You would have been nine, you hadn't turned ten, ten yet. yet. Yeah, that is my photo, but it's not my name from that moment. Coming in, it was a different name and different identity. I know I've taken someone else's place, but... And I, I do wonder what is... Muhammad doing now. And... Yeah, so, harrowing story of modern Most day... people know me as Mo sorry, Farah, sorry, but sorry, Mo. it's not my name. Or... Most people know me as Mo Farah. That's the badger. Thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, harrowing story of modern-day slavery, of human trafficking, which is still an enormous global issue. Um, that... BBC documentary really deserves our attention, I think. Um, but it's also a really amazing story about how Mo, or Hussein, overcame his unbelievably tragic past to become a world-renowned athlete and a national treasure. Hussein Abdi Kahani, known as Mo Farah, is an overcomer. There's no doubt about it. He overcame his circumstances to achieve something great. I think Hussein's story should... Um, create a moment of pause for all of us, a moment for us to ask ourselves, am I an overcomer? You know, when I look at my life, am I an overcomer? Am I thriving or am I surviving? When we look back at the last two years of COVID, you know, that we just had, how have we conducted ourselves? How have we kind of behaved towards others? How have we run our finances? And I think we need to ask ourselves, am I an overcomer? You know, was I an overcomer or did I allow myself to be overcome by my circumstances? I want to leave us with um, this verse, this verse about uh, taking heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Because I think it really nicely sums up what we've been trying to achieve as a church this term. We've been trying to look back 
on the last two years of our lives and process what we've been through. That it's a time that we need to grieve, to press forward into forgiveness and look at rebuilding. You know, I shared personally about the kind of journey that I've been over the last two years. And we had Ian come and share about Jesus being our good shepherd and needing to choose to follow him. So really I want to kind of just today do one final hammer blow on a term's worth of messages around that. To take Jesus' words really seriously. That he's not always going to insulate us from the worst that this world has to offer. We sang uh, a song that Kiri wrote last week that has come out of our, our term. And the words say, you may not hold back the waves, but you hold me near. You may not quench the storm, but you quench my fear. Now, in this world, we will have troubles. We will have pandemics. There will be financial difficulties. We will come face to face with death. In this world, we will have troubles. But the message of Jesus is that we can take heart. We can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Now, that word overcome means that Jesus has been victorious. It means that Jesus has won a great victory. It's referring to how when Jesus came to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of love, that in that moment the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of death and defeat went into retreat. And since that day the kingdom of God has been advancing. And then when Jesus died and rose from the death and when he ascended into heaven, he sealed that victory and guaranteed it for anyone who wants to put their trust in Jesus. And this truth, this reality that Jesus and his kingdom have achieved the ultimate victory, it, means to, it needs to inform everything about who a Christian is and how that Christian acts and the way the Christian behaves in the world. I was going to write this whole thing here about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves as overcomers, but there's this guy called Paul who was writing to a church in Romans, and he kind of smashed it out of the park. So anything I would be trying to do would be like, a really weak copy. Um, he explain, explains it like this, and I, I mean, I love this letter to the church in Rome. You could literally just read it, and it's just like a ready-made preach, so I'm just going to do that, if that's all right. It says this, what should we say about things, uh, about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God's on our side, Seriously, who's going to accuse us? Since he didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Like if he's given us his son, everything else is less than that. He's given us the most precious thing. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then can condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Guys, Jesus in the skin is still praying for us. That's good news. And then Paul goes on and he says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or there's a global pandemic or we're worried about our money running out or if we're in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. 
And he goes on to say more. He says, I am convinced that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. If you were Pentecostal right now, somebody would say amen. amen. Yeah, let's do more of that next term. There's that little bit in the middle where that guy Paul, he wrote this, and he talks about Jesus overcoming the world, and he lists all of those awful things and says, despite all these things, we have overwhelming victory. Some of, those are, some of the other English translations of this, they say we're more than conquerors. Another one says we are triumphantly victorious because of the one who loved us. That letter from Paul was written in ancient Greek, and the word that Paul uses to write to the Romans, it doesn't happen anywhere else in the Bible. I think he made it up for this. It means like hyper-overcomers, like uber-overcomers, like ridiculously victorious. You can see why our Bibles call it like overwhelming victory. It's like it's so over the top. Now, Mo Farah was an overcomer because he was identified and rescued by his PE teacher. And then he was supported and worked hard, and he achieved something great. According to Paul's words that we've just read, we are more than overcomers, more than overcomers, because of the love of Jesus and the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, what that PE teacher did was amazing, but God himself has stepped in to rescue us, to push back the darkness and invite us into the kingdom of light. According to Paul, the truth about us is that we are on the winning side if we put our trust in Jesus, that we are overwhelmingly victorious. Did anybody catch the lionesses this week? 8-0. Overwhelmingly victorious. They know what it means to be overwhelmingly victorious. Paul is trying to teach us that when we wake up in the morning, the score is 8-0. Do we believe that the score is 8-0? Probably not. Or do we believe that it's nil-nil and it's the 92nd minute and our goalkeeper's just had a hamstring injury? Like, overwhelming victory is ours because Jesus lived for us, because Jesus died for us, Jesus rose for us, and because Jesus is praying for us. Are we living as if overwhelming victory is ours, or are we living in defeat? Are we more than overcomers, or are we less than overcomers? Now, I'm getting my preach on today, as you might be able to tell. Why am I laboring this? Why is this important? And when am I going to stop laboring this? Very soon. I'm landing this very soon. Now, I don't know how you're feeling right now, but I am not laboring this to make anybody feel bad. I'm not trying to make anyone feel inadequate or disillusioned. I am painfully aware that there are many families in this church and in this room who are going through things at the moment which are harder than anything that I've ever been through in my entire life. So for me to talk about denying our circumstances and being overcomers, for me is an uncomfortable thing to talk about, because I'm aware of what's going on in the room. The message here is not pull yourself together, slap on a smile and crack on. The message here is not sort your life out. The message here is that for those of us who have put our hope in Jesus, there's nothing the world can throw at us that will separate us from him and his love that we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but that we can fear 
no evil, for he is with us. Now, I'm laboring this because I believe that this is the truth. And I believe it's the truth, a truth that we as the church need to start living with every single breath that we take. Can you imagine what our city would look like if we started to live this? Can you imagine what our city would look like if each Christian in each church believed this was true and lived it? I mean, how peaceful would we be if we believed this was true? How hopeful would we be? How generous would we be? Don't you think we would tell more people about Jesus? Don't you think we would pray about five billion times more? I would. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 months. We do know that it's going to be extremely tough for a lot of people. And us in the room, we're not immune from that. None of us knows what's going to happen in the next 12 months. But my personal opinion, speaking to the people I speak to in the council, listening to the news, chatting with families I know who are struggling to get by, spending time listening to teenagers, I could be wrong. But in my opinion, I think COVID might have been the easy bit. And I think the hard bit might be coming next. Now, loath as I am to end the term on a bit of a bum note, I don't think we're loving our neighbours if we're blind to this. I don't think we're loving our neighbours if we crack on hunky-dory as, as if everything is absolutely fine. Because in the pandemic, all of us were affected. All of us struggled with that in different ways. But I think with the difficult times that are ahead, the reality is that some of us will have a choice. I think some of us are going to be able to weather that just fine. Thank you very much. Some of us will have the option of keeping our heads down, keeping calm and carrying on, head down the Winchester and wait for all of this to blow over. But I would argue, I would get on my knees and plead that our city does not need Christians and churches who will batten down the hatches in the years to come. Our city and our county is going to need churches who will roll up their sleeves, tie back their hair, and get stuck in because they know that overwhelming victory is already theirs. Gloucestershire needs churches full of overcomers. Gloucestershire needs churches full of people who know the God of the universe. Gloucestershire needs churches full of people who may come, who from outside appearances may look like they're struggling in all the same ways as everybody else, and yet who turn and look outwards and love and serve their neighbours because they know who has won. Gloucestershire is going to need a narrative of hope in the coming years, which is not fueled by politics, which is not fueled by wishful thinking, which is not fueled by the promises of postmodernism, but is built on the solid rock of who God is, his love, and his kingdom. Thank you. And one over there as well. Paul believes that despite our circumstances, overwhelming victory is ours because of Jesus' life death and resurrection. And my, my question for all of us this afternoon is, do we have that perspective? Do we believe that that is true? Sorry, I'm looking at the time. I'm not asking for a response. I'm literally just trying to figure out how long until the kiddos come back in again. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Anybody? Um, but do we believe that's true? Because I think that this is what Jesus is calling us to. Right. Notes be damned. We're done with the notes. 
I think this is what Jesus is calling us to. I think this is what, what Jesus wants to be ringing in our ears as we go into the new term, that he has already won the victory, that the time of being a victim is over, the time of being a conqueror is next, of being victorious is next. And it's not for us that we have a nice, tidy life or that we get really rich. It's about everybody else out there who desperately needs to know the love of God. And so we're going to end uh, by doing something together. I'm going to encourage all of us to stand together. And we're going to read through that, um, that thing that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. We're going to read it out loud in our loudest voices. Let's pretend we're not in a really traditional church. And let's pretend that we're not British for the next three minutes. We're going to read this really loud as if we mean it. And I want you to, because I want this to get into our bones. I want us to go from here with this ringing in our ears that this is the truth. This is the truth which sets us free. So we're going to read this, and then we're going to figure out what we're going to do after that, because I'm not sure yet. Um, But why don't we take a deep breath, (gasps) deep, deep breath, and we're going to read this at the top of our lungs. Are we ready? Should we do it together? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor the angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.